0: Welcome to MUSE Views, the podcast for the MUSE community, about the MUSE community. MUSE is a nonprofit education networking group for users of the Meditech electronic health record system. Here on our podcast, we chat with healthcare IT folks about ideas, opportunities, strategies, and solutions to improve work-life experiences and share views you can use. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, TJ Temple, and I would like to thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited about today's podcast because I get to talk to a young lady that I really admire. I've had the pleasure of working beside her for multiple years at Ozarks Healthcare in the IT Applications Department. She's an RN who worked in the ICU at Ozarks and transitioned to the applications world as an analyst, and I'm now excited to hear she's leading the department as the IT Applications Manager. Please welcome to the podcast, Nikki Rotho. Nikki, thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you, TJ, it's good to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit more about Ozarks and the IT team there.
1: Ozarks Healthcare is a community-owned, not-for-profit medical center with 114 beds, and we have over 27 clinics that serve an 11-county area in South Central Missouri and Northern Arkansas. We have over 1,300 employees and utilize the services of over 100 physicians. We recently consolidated our multiple EHRs to Expanse in 2020, and we'll be opening the doors to a new medical office building this spring to house nearly all our specialty clinics and ancillary services all in one location, creating a centralized space for our patients. So we have a lot going on this spring that we're excited about. Our IT team has network business intelligence group applications and help desk. We all work pretty well together to meet all of our clinicians and patients' needs. And it's exciting for me since I just recently took this applications management position in November. I'm just learning to step out of my analyst role and into more of a leadership role, which is really nice to be able to have a big picture and use that vision to improve the care at the organization.
0: Great. Sounds like you've got a a lot going on there. We'd be remiss not to mention Dr. Fraze, who is CMIO there at the Ozarks. She's quote-unquote Muse famous at this point, doing lots of presentations and contributing to Muse in multiple ways. So you're lucky to have her.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, since you mentioned Muse, I will just go ahead and mention that Dr. Fraze has been doing a couple of, over the last six months, a couple of presentations on the Muse website. She recently did a Improving Meditech EHR Experience Presentation with Class Arch Collaborative. And so I encourage you to check that one out. It was from January 21st. We also had another member of our IT applications team, Debbie Tabor. She led a MUSE presentation on behavioral health confidential documents. It's a nice way to figure out how we managed to put together confidential documents, but leave the visits in the labs and the med administration history for those BHC visits available, which was something we struggled with. She she shares how we accomplished that. That was back in November. And then we also did an acute hold queue jam session with Dr. Fraze, myself, and Debbie, just explaining how we use the acute hold queue. And that one had a whole lot of participation. We had over 200 participants logged in to that jam session, and we may be hosting another one of those again soon in the spring.
0: Great. Very good. We'll put links in the show notes to all of those presentations. And I personally got to watch all of those and they're very valuable and well done. And I'm sure there's lots more value for the Muse community at large to, to either watch or maybe rewatch those. So thanks for sharing that very much. What version of Meditech are you currently running?
1: We are currently on Meditech Expanse. We just took the update to Priority Pack 28. We were previously on Priority Pack 23. So we went five releases okay. up at the time.
0: Great. And for the IT team there at Ozarks, do you have an informatics department or is it all kind of housed within IT or how do you guys manage that?
1: We have a nursing informatics analyst and it used to be kind of a section of the nursing department, but she joined the IT team. So we do have that on the nursing side and we also have 11 analysts. And they're split out into both clinical and non-clinical, ambulatory and acute, though we are doing a whole lot of cross-training right now and getting our analysts that are more comfortable with acute, um, more comfortable with the ambulatory and vice versa. So we created a uh, physician onboarding team where we're learning both sides for the physicians so that the physician analysts, they're comfortable with those workflows. We have about four of those. Are all trying to, you know, learn both sides to improve our onboarding process.
0: Great, sounds good. That's always a challenge, especially with locum providers and in the time of COVID, trying to get at the elbow with providers and trying to make sure that they're trained as fast as possible, but as prepared as possible as well. So,
1: absolutely. When we have seen a major uptick in locum providers with COVID, because we're constantly trying to, you know, provide coverage or when there's staff out. So the contract staff, not just for the physicians, but for nursing as well, has been a challenge for us to stay ahead of and make sure that we have enough staff at any given time. Because a lot of times we don't get a lot of notice for some of the onboarding when they're their last minute illness that creates, you know, the shortage sometimes. So that we found that cross-training has been our go-to to to get through the challenges that COVID's presented with the staff adjusting that's always required.
0: Yeah, that's great to have a a deep bench, if you will, to to make sure and meet those challenges when they come up. So speaking of COVID, give us a little bit of COVID update at Ozarks, anything new that you guys are seeing or anything new you're doing with Meditech or other softwares to help manage the pandemic?
1: We recently, you know, had an increase, kind of a surge here in the community. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've had an increase in hospitalized patients hospitalized with COVID. Last week, we were running in numbers 20 ish. And then I noticed this morning we're down to 15. So it's nice to see the numbers back down out of the 20s for our admission, which helps reduce the strain on the staff. With the transfer challenges that go on in the ED with COVID, about a year ago, we implemented an ED hold process so that they could seamlessly move the patients from being cared for in EDM to still being housed in the ED, but provide that care through the PCS module and transition their orders and allow more stability, I guess you would say, for the patients that we have to hold in the ED when the beds are really scarce on the floors and there's nowhere to transfer out. So we've been really involved in trying to help the ED and the inpatient side adjust to the increased numbers in patients and challenges with transfers as well. We build several COVID order sets, and we've recently been revising our monoclonal antibody orders and infusion protocols and kind of that scheduling process as supply adjusts and we don't have a large supply of of those infusions to give. We had to kind of put a filter in place so that only certain people could enter those orders and it went through an approval process before. So that's been keeping us busy. And of course, as COVID testing, new technology comes out, we're always updating those orders and updating on the lab side to stay ahead of that and make sure that we have the most up-to-date tests available for our patients. And then I have to brag on the IT staff. We have several skilled nurses in the IT applications department, and they are picking up shifts on the floors and trying to help just with basic staffing needs as well.
0: Wow, that's great. Yeah, it sounds like you're blessed there at Ozarks to have a deep team of clinical knowledge that are you know also helping out with the IT and are okay to, to help out in the clinical needs as well. And the ED throughput standpoint, I've heard lots of organizations struggle with that. So that may be a good news presentation as well of how you guys tackle that and how you're making sure those patients are cared for as best they can while they're waiting.
1: Absolutely. And we are very blessed with the staff that we have or the co-workers we have here at OCH. We have a group that works really well together and has a lot of deep knowledge coming from clinical background and other backgrounds in the healthcare industry. So most of us have been here for a very long time as well.
0: That's wonderful. So you mentioned priority pack 28, jumping from 23 to 28, and that's been on your plate lately. And you guys just went up with that recently. So tell us about your approach to priority packs kind of in general, how you, how you prepare for them, how you train for them, how you work through the different changes, and then how you prepared and worked through this one, if it was anything different from a normal one.
1: So I think priority packs, we always learn something and we always, you know, find something that we wish we would have done better. So I think the first thing that we always try to do is just get organized around the project, make sure we have a lead analyst that's kind of serving as the overarching lead for that. And then we pull the CLIN IDs that require testing out into a spreadsheet and we split that spreadsheet up by modules. But then we recently found a way to use the spreadsheet to kind of report back to one master spreadsheet so that you could track the percentage Of testing that had been done. And we've been, we met weekly um, and scheduled weekly meetings after we received the code and kind of disseminated the spreadsheet out to all the analysts. And then, of course, they have to send it out to end users or super users or different department leads that help with the testing with our system. And we go through that and just make sure that we first review, you know, all the release highlights and parameters. And Meditech does a pretty good job of opening. Tickets that'll point out parameter changes and other major changes within each module. So we try to lay eyes on all of that stuff and get a decent understanding of how much training is going to be necessary. And I'll tell you with Priority Pack 28, it had a lot of physician documentation changes and Meditech recommended that you, you know, do some mandatory training or you host training for physicians on the documentation. And I would say to absolutely take them up on that recommendation and get that organized early. We did host training sessions for the physicians, um, both on the inpatient and the ambulatory side. We ended up having to do... Four kind of noontime sessions, and those were led by Dr. Fraze, which for the most part and myself, it's great to have a physician involved in your trainings when you're doing physician training, if at all possible, because they just can speak to the workflow and relate to them so much better. I felt like it was really well received by our providers. We also had some plans to roll out expansion of our medical necessities. So we just coupled that in with the documentation training and covered both. And we just broke it up into specialties. So I was a little nervous about group physician training, but it went pretty well with the way that COVID is. And we try not to have a large groups. We offered WebEx and in-person and just the flexibility of that. So we had lots of clinics that hosted at their clinics and then they called in and viewed the screen with us and people that showed up in person. But so we did the training, but I just think identifying those training needs early is a good idea. Then we meet weekly just to touch base on where we are with training and what changes we plan to roll in with the system, which ones are required, which ones are not, as well as Create some time and space just for the analysts to work together. There's always overlapping module testing. So, those weekly meetings were a good way for people to pull together and test things out as needed. So, that's kind of the planning and prepping. Now, like I mentioned, the the big thing was the physician documentation, and there were several enhancements in a lot of the modules that we just didn't have to turn on. So, we didn't do that with everything that we have going on with the medical office building and COVID search and medical necessity expansion, all the big projects that were going on. But we'll be revisiting those at a later date and trying to roll out some of the optimization pieces that came in
0: with this update. Great. Can you talk a little more about the specific, like give us specific examples of what changed for the physicians and what your training entailed? And then what do you recommend for an organization for what's the duration of that training? Is it like two hours per provider or one hour or 30 minutes or?
1: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So MetaTechs update was, it really changed the way that the documentation looked initially and they introduced review and refine and a rapid entry option where you could toggle the screen and how they liked to document. Review and refine basically allows you to click into the sections and it opens the bubbles and responses up and, and you just kind of, click in and out, but you can review what you're documenting as you go. And then which that was pretty much what our providers were used to. And that was how we built our notes out so that it would function really well like that. So we had to do some review on the back end of what these changes were going to do to the output of the note. And I would recommend that you do spend time reviewing if you do make any changes to your documents with this update to make sure that you're reviewing the output and adjusting it because it just it tweaked some things in the way that the system functions that modified some of our templates and how they looked once they were printed out or viewing in the EMR. So just a note there. We ended up doing a two-hour training sessions, but that was really heavily padded. We wanted to have an opportunity for providers to ask questions at the end, even if it wasn't related to the update. So we spent Probably 30 minutes on the documentation and then an extra 30 minutes on the medical necessity piece. That's not part of the update, but that was just how our training flowed. And then we saved another 30 minutes to help providers with any other questions that they had. So we did extra time on typicals, other things that we had wanted or offered optimization sessions to the providers that they just didn't attend or, you know they hadn't had an opportunity to get exposure to. But about 30 minutes was a good amount of time for the documentation changes. We were able to go in and just show them how it looked and changed. And then we went live into the test system and actually did some documentation so that they could see us actually flowing through the screens and the document.
0: That sounds like a great approach.
1: Yeah, thank you. That was the majority of the training for the physicians. We didn't have to push out a lot of education To the acute nursing or ancillary staff, there was some education for clinic nurses because they use the same documentation tool as the providers do. So we just had the clinic admin log into the WebEx and they intended the same training sessions. We also created some handouts and cheat sheets for them to look at and disseminate ahead of time. One thing with the documentation that we wished we would have touched on a little bit more and we didn't is the, whenever the document changed, the way that the bubbles, when you pull in your typicals, the way that you undo the documentation that is kind of included in your typical was a little bit different. They used to be able to left click and it would just unselect it, but now you have to click on it and click again. So we wished we would have demonstrated that. We did get some questions about that, particularly from the ED who uses typicals pretty heavily and wanted to move really quickly through removing and changing things in that piece.
0: Looking on the forums and just doing some searching and stuff in prep for this podcast, I see some mentioning about printing going away or some changing to printing in Priority Pack 28. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that was more of a post-live for us. We had reached out to several of the modules like pharmacy and nursing and some of those areas that we thought they might be printing the screen and asked them you know, about their workflows and how much they use that tool. And we didn't get a lot of feedback or concern from that group. But what I wish we would have done is actually really ask the whole organization and ask to watch almost how people work. Because we found out that people were using the print screen for things that there were other tools that we thought they were using. For example, they used print screen to print assessments, to print maybe the last set of vital signs to send to another facility or an insurance company. They were using print screen for pulling order details out of the system. And so we ended up having to send some information out about how to print nursing assessments, how to print orders how to print the bedboard? We used an example of how to print the bedboard because we found out nurses were printing the status board and using it as bedside shift report. We just learned about a lot of workarounds that they were using printing the screen for that we didn't ever really teach them. We didn't realize how heavily it was being used by finance and our utilization review department. So we kind of had to do some catch up with them and we wished we would have, realized how heavily they relied on that tool and didn't really know about some of the other tools of how to print a lab report from the EMR in its actual correct format. So I think getting ahead of that and just making sure that everybody has those tools before they finalize the pulling out of the print screen, it was a very good reason to get us up to date with the HEMS stage seven and efforts towards paperless environment. But we had a few surprises on how many people were heavily utilizing that function, even though it wasn't ever anything that we had taught them to do. So try to think big about who all uses the EMR and it's much larger than your clinical group. Is what
0: we learn. Yeah, it's amazing how a small tweak in code or a change like that reveals people using the system that maybe it, a ways it wasn't designed or no matter how many parallel runs you do or you know testing or observing there's always going to be somebody doing something kind of squirrely that comes out in these ways. So I'm assuming Meditech put this into place because there's really no audit for a print screen. Is that the is that the rationale behind it?
1: Exactly. And so that was how we ended up communicating back out. And I wish we would have been proactive in communicating this as a positive change, you know, towards data security and you know HIPAA compliance. But we we were more retroactive on that and pointing out those efforts because yeah, if you print it out of the EMR using a print button that's built in or you use a print routine within the system, there's audits in the background that track who printed it and you know all of that date and time and information that's needed to make sure that we're not losing data elsewhere. Plus, there's temp files that get stored when you do print screens and things like that in the system. So just eliminating that background saving of data and it coming straight out and there being an audit was the big reason behind that. So it was a good thing. Our users were not very pleased about it, I will tell you.
0: Right. Yeah, I could see that. Did Meditech have that as a highlighted change or could they have done something a little more in your face to make you guys aware of that change coming?
1: Well, that was, we spent quite a bit of time post update talking about, well, what can we do better to visualize what these stories are? So one thing that we learned is when you run your release highlights, they do have a new thing in their documentation where it's called on story and it'll put a little red asterisk. And I think looking ahead to the next update, I'll want to run those on stories. And that way I can get the bigger view because if I can see the on story and run the ones that are on story, then I might be able to see all the different modules that they'll touch and have a better idea for the big picture of how this is going to trickle down. But it almost seems like when we look at it and read through it, it's from the bottom up. So I wish there was a better tool to be able to see, here's all of the stories, here's the details about why we implemented this and all the modules that it's going to touch. But that's been harder for me to discover. I guess one thing I didn't realize Meditech was doing is in their announcement section on their website. I think they did have several announcements related to the printing and that that was coming with the update and kind of a big picture discussion about that that I just missed. And then the other thing is it's the testing related to it, for the most part, was in the FOC module, which just make sure you test FOC. It, FOC doesn't mean a lot to me. Now, I know we just need to look through all of them, even if we're like, we don't really use this module. It might be something that doesn't seem familiar is overarching.
0: Right. So that's kind of a blessing and a curse of Meditech software as you can customize it heavily and you can use it kind of how you want. You know, the general announcements and and recommendations from Meditech apply differently to organizations because the software is so flexible. You're not locked in, but then, you know, that makes it maybe a little bit unique to each facility using Meditech.
1: Yeah. Just to kind of wrap up a little bit, I mean, once we got a handle on the testing and everything, we do try to do parallel where we run patients through the system and try to get end users. And it's always been a challenge to get end users into the system to actually do the testing and go through their basic workflows. So I'm always open for suggestions on getting that to work. But we always try to get documentation and orders and on an account or multiple accounts so that we can get and see it coming out with the claim. So we did that on a couple of patients, but we never feel like we get as good of a parallel run as we want.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine, especially during all the staffing shortages and COVID surge and asking a floor nurse to, hey, redocument everything you did and test for us at this time. That's hard in normal times, but right now I'm sure it's even more difficult.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen. So we tend to just pull together and try to do it from an IT perspective. But again, that's when we miss some of the things of, well, we know that these are the routines in the system that you use, but we don't always know how the end users use the system.
0: Right, exactly. Well, that's some great information about Priority Pack 28 there, Nikki. Um, So concentrate on those physician trainings. Get those scheduled early. Make sure you pay attention to those announcements. Pay special attention to printing as well, it sounds like, in this one. Tell me what you think about the kind of new approach from Meditech about the quarterly updates as a moving, you know, back in the day, you might get one a year or two a year, but now they're pretty much forcing or recommending, I guess, that you do one quarterly. How is that working out for the Ozarks team?
1: I think it'll be a challenge to get you know four of them in in a year, but at the same token, I think we just have to get adjusted. If we would take them quarterly, we would have less to take at a time, and then we would stay more up to date. We had a couple of items that came out of the update that the fix is in Priority Pack 32. One, for example, is the provider in the discharge routine, you now have to enter a provider and a source when you finalize the discharge meds. That was something that was identified by the end users and we were able to open a ticket, but it won't be fixed until later. So they just have to do that now. And so I think just keeping that code moving forward and having a smaller amount to test multiple times a year might be less cumbersome than letting your updates get to be you know twice a year where they're bigger updates and then it's a little bit more work because the timelines are fairly tight. Four weeks is pretty tight to try to get... The code in and analyzed. We almost need to get it all analyzed within the first week. And we've even talked about how we can do that next time by just allotting Friday afternoons or Fridays are our testing days. And so analysts are, you know, excused from meetings and we'll kind of try to communicate out that we're not available for meetings these two weeks out of the quarter because we are dedicated to. Testing the update. So that was one thing that we thought we could do to help the analyst with this constant need. If you're doing it quarterly, you're always testing an update or going live with an update almost. So just trying to figure out a structure that allocates the time that's needed so that you can stay on track with that. And then I think it'll make it not as much of a challenge because your update won't be as large, won't be taking as much code each time if you stay on track. So that's our goal is to get another one scheduled as soon as we can. I doubt we'll get four in this year.
0: right. Yeah, it sounds like you almost need a team that's the update priority pack team and a you know normal operations team. Obviously, we know that can't happen hardly any organization across the world, but it sounds like you have a good approach there, just blocking off some timing and hoping the organization will understand and give you that cushion there to to make sure that you let release the best product possible.
1: that was one thing we learned maybe we could do a little better is just scheduling that and planning to schedule it. We'll see how it goes. There was two other things in the testing that we found that I wanted to mention to other sites, just that in the documentation, when they change it, it's now required that you have a problem in your note before you can sign off on it. So there was some confusion with some of the providers that weren't in the habit of adding problems to their notes. I would incorporate that into your training that you know, adding a problem to your note and they changed how you rearrange the order of the problems in the assessment and plan section. And then they added it like kind of a hard-coded plan box, which we had to change our templates because we'd already added that. The providers had asked for that. So we had to remove the extra one that was in there. I would just touch on those pieces, making sure that providers know they should be adding a problem in the assessment and plan section and then how to reorder them and pointing out that, that new plan box
0: Great. It sounds like that may help with some organizations that are having problems with the problem list or having problems with providers adding the problem. Sounds like it's going to be required now. Good.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It'll flag them when they go to sign it and it's not super apparent why it's not letting them sign it. But if they go back into the plan section and add a problem, then it will let them proceed forward. Our providers were thinking it was forcing them to do something in the coding section of the note, and we didn't have them required to go in there. So it was turning things red in there, and it was just because there was no problems added for certain providers that had gotten out of the habit since initial training or never really adopted the habit. So it's a good opportunity to reinforce that and the importance of that and how you can leverage problems for customer decision support tools and our clinical quality measures and all of that it can be brought up again with this training because you'll probably have some people that are using different workflows than what you've initially trained.
0: That's a good recommendation. One thing I wanted to ask about the Priority Pack 28 Go Live is what did your downtime look like? What was the outage length and, and how did you guys handle that? What time of day and all those things?
1: So we took the system down at three and the planned window was two hours. It came up at 20 minutes after So ours was two hours and 20 minutes and there's a couple of network pieces. So just heavily pay attention to the network tasks with the update there. There's an update required to the Apache server doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but they ended up having to revert back to a previous version and do some work on the Meditech side to bring web back up. Our web link wouldn't function and it had something to do with Apache. So I would just, you know, touch bases on that update ticket and make sure that network and Meta Tech, Tech get that uh, patchy update installed that created an extra amount of time in our downtime for it.
0: Well, that's that's not too bad as far as downtime. I mean, maybe that's one of the benefits, benefits of these quarterly updates is I remember back in the day, you'd have four to six hour downtime, you know, which is pretty lengthy, even if you're doing it in the middle of the night. So that's good to hear you kept it around two hours.
1: Yeah, we did. And we you know, we tried to use our social media platforms and, you know, communicate at meetings and in huddles and we sent everyone emails out, you know, letting everybody know in every way possible, which I, I definitely recommend that it's happening. Um, but then we utilized the sign on graphic and we tried to make sure that that flag before the first shift started started so that when the New Year's signed on at the beginning of the shift, they all got warned that it was Starting and when we called to let them know it was going down, everybody at least they knew nobody complained about the sign on graphic flagging too much. So I'm still curious if we overdid it there or not. I haven't heard any negative feedback, but it was just good to know that people knew about the downtime. And sometimes that's been a challenge for us in the past. So I think just blasting the information out through every channel that you can. And then when they're prepared, if they have their Mars before it goes down. If it's down for two hours and 20 minutes, they managed the downtime fine and we were able to get it back up in a short period of time. So, yeah, it wasn't too bad.
0: Yeah, that's great. So looking back on Friday Pack 28, now that you've been live for a week or so, you feel it was an overall successful go live or are you still have any lingering issues out there?
1: Absolutely. No, I think the only issues that we have was a couple of things that, you know, they didn't like. We had something in coding that there's a few diagnoses that aren't flowing to the coding work list and then the provider and the order source being required and when they finalize discharge. Those are the only two real outstanding issues. And um, We did have some of the, as stuck acknowledge flags on the PCS status board. And it's hard to gauge sometimes. We really increased our rounding after the downtime when the system came up. We went around and rounded with the clinical staff multiple times a day for several days. And sometimes just having that availability to report issues gets issues reported more. So I'm not sure if the acknowledge flag was related to the update specifically or not, but we're still tracking a couple of pieces of code to keep the acknowledgement orders flags from hanging in the background. That's been an ongoing issue for various reasons for numerous years. You know, with order acknowledgement and the status board, there's always occasionally something that hangs in the background and makes those stick. So that's been ongoing, but we did see an increase in that after the update
0: well, it's good to hear that it was overall successful and relatively short downtime and sounds like you all were prepared as possible. And I'm sure that goes to your leadership and the and the participation of the team and the support from the organization. So let's talk about Muse in general. You've mentioned a lot of presentations that your team has put together and I know that you all partake in Muse as well. The Inspire conference coming in May is gonna be in person this year as of now anyway. Are you all talking about sending a team from Ozarks to the conference?
1: Yes, we are. We're planning on sending several people from the organization. Not sure exactly who. We're trying to get the details and the interests turned out, but we're planning on being there. And I have a couple of the analysts that are interested or willing to do some presentations. So we look forward to, to meeting and networking with the rest of the MUSE
0: members. Absolutely. It'll be nice to be back in person. And just a reminder to listeners that the MUSE website is open to accepting presentations right now. So if you have something big or small going on at your organization that you feel that would benefit the Muse community, just like maybe ED throughput and managing uh, hold patients in the ED, like Nikki mentioned earlier, be sure to submit those to the Muse website. So Nikki, as we wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. And and those are great uh, nuggets to take away from the Priority Pack 28 update. Is there anything going on in your personal or professional life that you are enjoying right now, whether it's a YouTube channel or you're reading a neat book or watching a cool TV show or anything like that?
1: Oh, We've had snow and we don't get snow that sticks on the ground here very often. So my children have been enjoying sledding and we've been pulling the kids around behind the four-wheeler on the sled. So that's been what's been going on here. That's been fun. But a good book that I've been reading is The Battlefield of the Mind. By Joyce Meyer. It's just a good perspective on protecting how you think and um in a spiritual fashion as well.
0: Very cool. Well, we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. And I'm happy to hear that your kids have been out enjoying the snow. My children have been as well. So I'm ready for them to go back to school, but but the snow has been fun while it's lasted. So
1: now that's the challenge.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you again for your time and, and your leadership there at Ozarks and taking time out of the, away from your team to share with the Muse community. We certainly appreciate all the information and we look forward to hearing from Ozarks again in the future.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you, TJ. It was good talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening to Muse Views. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast fix. And visit museweb.org for information about Muse.